When you decide that there are tasks that only you can do, you do lock yourself in the day-to-day of your business, holding you back from working on and, and scaling your business and enjoying the journey. I believe there's only really one thing in your business that can't be delegated, and that's deciding what you want from your life and your business. No one can do that for you, deciding what you want, but everything else, delegation should be possible. So try to catch yourself whenever you're tempted to say, only I can do this task or this needs to be me. Just remember, that's absolute bullshit. Welcome to De-Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur and founder at Air Manual. Now, there's a dangerous phrase that business leaders use, almost unwittingly, that seals themselves inside a tomb of their own making. That phrase is that only I can do that. Sorry, it's nearly Halloween at the time of recording, um, but the impact of saying it is scary. Saying only I can do that. And it's absolute BS. When you decide that there are tasks that only you can do, you do lock yourself in the day-to-day of your business, holding you back from working on and, and scaling your business and enjoying the journey. So in this episode, I'll share examples of business owners who have identified specific activities that they felt strongly that only they could do and the impact this had and how and if they escaped. (laughs) I'll, I'll stop now, I promise. So let's start with Dan. When I first met Dan, he was growing his business successfully and had built a team of five people. However, he was working seven days a week, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. every single day. And he wanted to work, he wanted to spend more time with his family and his six month year old baby. And he shared that he'd already had a heart attack due to the stress. For context, Dan was 27 years old when he had that heart attack. And seven days later, he was back at work. Now, why? Why would anyone do this to themselves? Well, because he felt very strongly that there were activities in his business that only he could do and that they needed doing every single day across those working hours. Now, specifically, one task involved reviewing his customers' social media accounts to check their performance and adjust them as needed. As Dan said to us, My clients spend millions on ads every month and I won't sacrifice the service that I give to them. Now, that's commendable, but continuing as he was just wasn't sustainable. He was going to burn out and take his business down with him. Another heart attack, divorce, or just missing his child's formative years were all possibilities too. So when I met Dan, I offered to help and we arranged a call with a member of my team. And Dan went into that call still believing that there was no way that the tasks that had kept him shackled to the business could be done by anyone else, and certainly not at a cost that he could afford. 20 minutes later, (laughs) 
They've captured the process that Dan had been going through. And he agreed that that process could be done by a virtual assistant for less than £20 an hour without sacrificing service to his clients. Now, it was an odd experience. I think Dan was equal parts happy and sad in that moment. He was happy that he could see a future with his family whilst growing his business, which was being held back too. But a little sad that it had taken until now to come to that realization. Now, at this point, you might be understandably confused. How were we able to make it possible for anyone else to do a process that previously only Dan felt that he could do? And to do so in such a short period, like 20 minutes. And the answer is that we just asked Dan questions to explicitly understand and document the process that he went through the decisions he was making, the criteria he was using. And crucially, Dan had never even thought about the process like this. He saw what he was doing as something he was doing using his experience from over a decade of of doing this kind of stuff. But here's the thing. Experience just gives you the ability to make quick decisions and take actions based on a rapid analysis of the situation, based on your experience, right? Experience is awesome. But it's a curse when you don't break it down and see the underlying decision-making process. Making explicit the things that you're doing because you have that experience. Because experience can make tasks feel like only you can do them. Because you can't imagine anyone else going through the years of playing and failing that led you to build the experience that you've had. But you don't need to give them the experience. You need to give them the decision-making tools, the criteria that you've developed as a result of that experience. And that's what we did with Dan on that call. We captured the sequence of things that he looks at. What's he looking for? What's the actions that he'd take depending on what situation? What's the cutoff point for each of those decisions? And in most cases, he realized that the decision-making process was a lot less complex than he'd imagined. And that going through it, even identified ways to improve the process too, to make it faster or better in various ways. As a result, Dan and his team have now implemented this and reported a massive shift in his business. They are freeing up days and days of Dan's time and the whole business feels different. It's more organized. It's more calm. It's more optimistic. And it's certainly less rushed and less stressed. Now, I'm hopeful that Dan continues doing that over and over and stays the course because his life may well depend on it. Now, let's look at another example, because in the call I described Dan having with a member of my air manual team, that call is one that I used to do with our early customers myself. Initially, I actually avoided doing that kind of work because it's something that I used to do as a consultant well over a decade ago. And I felt like, well, we're building a software business, not a consulting practice. But I found that some customers wanted help, um, some needed help, getting the processes out of their brains and into a checklist. So I did it myself and I was testing how quickly I could get even the most complex processes captured by just asking uh, questions. And I was testing and validating and checking what questions I would ask in what order to get the results that were needed. And that included how I would identify the right process to start with, 
how I would avoid the business owner getting off track or getting too stuck in the detail. And as Air Manual began to gain traction, my weeks quickly ended up with customer calls. <laughs> Absolutely slammed. Probably worked out as maybe three and a half days a week I was spending just on calls of customers. And I knew that if we were going to grow, I needed to let go of these calls, handing them over to other team members who could run the calls instead of me. But I didn't know whether that was possible. And note that this is with Air Manual, not my previous software business. So I've had a lot of experience of handing over sales calls and whole parts of my business and so on. But I didn't know for sure whether this would be possible because I had got two decades of business process design experience, right? I documented processes at large companies like at AstraZeneca and Honda and Sony. I'd also built my own processes within my own software business uh, over at SpiderGap. And I developed skills, like I developed the, the quick thinking, on-the-spot skills to break down processes and have even done that live in front of an audience on webinars or on stage or whatever. And I'm a massive geek for this kind of stuff. I know that also my brain works differently to many people, most people. In fact, literally, partly because I'm autistic. So I did worry that maybe I possess the magic combination of DNA and neuron connections and life experiences that made me perfect for that job of having those calls. And that it meant that I'd never be able to delegate this activity. Or maybe, maybe I could, but I'd need to hire my ex-colleagues from the consulting firm that I worked at. You know, essentially other experienced process geeks who could map a business process with their eyes closed. But I knew that they would need to be paid six-figure salaries and that my smaller, medium-sized business clients wouldn't be able to, to fund that. Now, as it turned out, I was able to document the process of documenting processes. <laughs> I created a step-by-step -step approach to how I helped customers let go of their day-to-day -day activities. I broke down each call in the sequence into an agenda, and then for each agenda point, broke down the questions I'd need to ask and in what order. I'd captured the common issues and objections that came up and how I'd overcome them, and also even the stories that I'd tell and the analogies I used to bring things to life and make them land. And then I hired two people. Neither had any consulting experience. In fact, neither had any sales experience either. They had gone through a recruitment process in which we assessed them firstly on values fit against our five core values, but also their communication skills and their ability to ask questions and then accurately make good notes based on the answers to those questions and structure them. That's the, the set of skills that I was looking for. I wasn't actually interested in their experience, whether they'd been consultants, all those sorts of things didn't matter. I wanted this. Did they have the, the attitudes, the values, and the ability to, to ask those questions and communicate effectively and so on? Now, we had, I think we had well over 100 candidates and filtered them through a series of stages. And the two top candidates ended up being a medical interpreter who wanted to help solve problems rather than just translate what was being said by others, and a social media marketer who wanted to have more meaningful one-to-one -one interactions and deliver real value to business leaders rather than uh, do that via social media. 
and they were they came out top and and got their high scores and and so on as we took them through the process so hired them and they went through an onboarding checklist that i created that took them through the training that they needed to complete which meant learning the process that i was going through and how i ran each call but also it got them practicing how to conduct the different types of customer call. In their first week, I spent a total of 90 minutes checking in with them, split into, I think, probably four, five, four or five calls of like shorter periods. And that's 90 minutes across the two of them because they both joined in the same week. So that's 45 minutes each. And I was able to review their progress against the onboarding checklist. And I could see they're making excellent progress and with the check-ins it was pretty light often it was they, they were clear on things or they'd ask clarifications and we'd agree little changes to the onboarding to answer their questions which was quite nice because they were uh, on time zones one hour different to each other so it meant that one would experience the issue um, it was amazing how closely aligned their progress was one would experience an issue ask a question we'd agree the answer fix it in the uh, onboarding checklist and then I wouldn't get the answer to the question from the other one which is really cool but they made like incredible progress and within five working days they were ready to have calls with real customers now for new clients it that worked brilliantly like they uh, those new clients would have no problem having a call with one of my consultants rather than me um, they didn't know any better uh, and um, in many cases weren't even aware that the consultants were new although uh, often and I say like if you you know when you are new it's fine to to say that you are and often that helps and people are very forgiving and, and so on but the feedback from those new clients was fantastic already really really quickly and it just kept getting better right as we as we improved um, the process and, and the guidance and they got smoother at having those calls however I did make a mistake I tried too quickly to hand over a couple of my existing clients to the new consultants. And so as a result, those, a couple of those clients weren't happy about that. They felt like the service that they'd received from me was considerably better and they wanted Alexis back. So I rejoined the course and initially took the lead with the consultant shadowing. And over time, my consultants were able to take over and the clients ended up happier than ever. But I learned that I should have done handover calls. Uh, and that's what I did with other clients where um, I'm on the call so that the client doesn't feel deserted, but that the new consultant leads the call because they've got the skill and ability to do it. And by that point, they were running it more frequently than I was. So they were very comfortable following the, the process to do it. Whereas in all honesty, I tend to be a little bit loose with my approach to these things. And so they, they were able to get more consistent results. But by me being there, it gave the client confidence that they'll get the desired result, but also built that confidence in the new team members much faster. And so I had some clients where literally one handover call was sufficient and they were clearly happy and somewhere two calls and, and they got there. But I got to a point quite quickly within a couple of weeks where I wasn't doing any of those those calls myself and the, the, the team was able to take it. So as it stands now, like essentially years later from that point, I no longer do those calls. My team occasionally gets my advice on how to deal with unusual situations, questions or issues. And then we build the answers into those processes for running the call and the training. So actually, even those don't come up very often now, which means that I'm free from the day to day 
And best of all, my clients regularly tell me how awesome the consultants are. They're like, oh, you've got such a good hire in Jessica, or such a good hire in Kangai. Like, they're amazing. You know, you don't like, you've got really good one there. You've got to tell me how you got them and so on. And I always smile because I think on the one hand, they're right. Like, we have a really good recruitment process that resulted in getting really good candidates. But also, I think that the training and the onboarding that we gave them meant that they're able to deliver in such an effective way because note that they didn't have any experience doing any kind of process consulting before and now i've got clients who rave about them as if they must have been uh, uh experts in process consulting for over a decade and the truth is they've gone through an onboarding and training process a sophisticated smart one that's based on me testing to find out what works but it works really well and i can i'll share some resources at the end of the episode and in the show notes um, that you can use like the steps that i took through that i took for you to document your processes and your onboarding but next i'll share an example that goes in a slightly different direction which makes me uncomfortable and also sad to to think about so we'll say carl which isn't um, their real name. Um, Carl was a business owner who, um, when he started working with us, was stuck in the day-to-day of working with his clients. And he'd previously tried to, try, uh, to train team members to take on his work, but found that they would ask lots of questions. And so he'd end up doing most of it all himself. Now, he was skeptical that we'd be able to help, but it, we helped him to essentially capture the structures of the calls that he was conducting with his clients and we got them captured as simple checklists and we created self-service onboarding checklists that could be used to get the new team members to learn the role without the business owners the business owner having to put that time in exactly in the, the same way that I did with my consultants as I shared earlier now at the point of doing that he and his team were super happy with these checklists right they felt like they fully captured the key concepts and the steps that needed to be included and the, the air manual consultant they were working with got great feedback and, you know, customer satisfaction surveys, each call, et cetera. They're saying, oh, yeah, really, really good, really clear, helping us. And that's fantastic. And the consultant on those calls um, encouraged them repeatedly to test the processes, which if you've listened to a lot of our, uh, these episodes, you may have heard me talk about before or, or seen any of the um, uh, videos when we talk about. Uh, the four-stage process, which you may have come across, um, where I talk about testing the process, getting the checklist, the process used by other team members and getting them to ask the questions and make mistakes and then making any changes that are needed to answer those questions or fix the, the mistakes or near misses because we know that the checklist won't be perfect until you've tested it and used it and, and iterated on it. However, they pushed back, they insisted the checklists were good, and that rather than use them with the existing team, which they felt like, oh, well, that's a waste of time. These people already know how to do it. Instead, they'd wait and use them the next time that they hired someone, which they thought, well, we're trying to do that immediately, so it won't be that bad. But in reality, it took them five months to do and, and get the right person in. They At one point, had a failed hire and all these sorts of things. Now, the new team member started started using some of these the onboarding checklists and so on but had lots of questions which the business owner then had to take the time and and answer which is fine but rather than change the onboarding checklists and processes they decided oh no i'm not going to do that instead i'll resort to shadowing so getting the new joiner to attend dozens of client meetings watching the business owner leading the conversations essentially 
they're back to their old habits of training via osmosis, right? Like the slow transfer of knowledge and information out of one person to the other one. And they had to, and the business owner was having to do all of the doing while having this person shadow, but also them to answer questions, often repeated questions, because the team member would ask a question, get the answer, and then maybe forget, and they've got nothing to refer back to. And so they'd have to answer these repeated questions. Now, our consultant reached out multiple times to try and get them back on a call to review progress and check where they're at. And, and we, I, I'm so frustrated by it because I, I wish that we'd been had the opportunity to, to identify that this was what happening because we didn't find out all of this until months later because they insisted they were too busy and, and couldn't uh, take time to have the call. Now, after a few months, the new team member was trained up and the business owner's burden was lifted. They were able to let go of um, some of the tasks, but their processes and their onboarding no longer matched the training that the team member had been given. There was so much of it had come from just shadowing and answering questions. And by that point, although we said, well, you know, ideally you'd have, you'd have updated it as you went along, but by that point they, they decided, oh, well, it would take too long to update the processes now. And I'm not sure they'd even remember all the questions that were asked and all the mistakes that happened and so on anyway to be able to do it. And also they felt like, well, no, one, we don't even need to use them anyway now because everyone knows what to do now, i.e. The, you know, the existing team and this new joiner. So by the time that we were able to get them a call, they'd already decided processes don't work for their industry. Now, I've worked with hundreds of businesses from a huge range of industries, ranging from the complex to the simple and from the tiny businesses of one or two people up to the ones with tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands. And all of them, all of them have examples of successful businesses within that industry who have managed to systemize and scale successfully. Now, sadly, in that case, we lost that customer. One of Fortunately, a very small number that we've ever lost, but I'm still super frustrated and disappointed that we got to that point with them. And I know the consultant working on that project was too. Literally, when she got the message after you know, months of chasing, etc., that, oh, yeah, we're not carrying on, she was in tears and, and really struggled to, to tell me. Yeah, to, she was... She said, oh, you know, I, I, I need to talk to you about something. And yeah, I'm really upset about it. And I, I don't know how to tell you. And yeah, I, in fact, initially I said, well, is it to do with your health? No. Is it to do with the health of any of your family members? No. Is it something that means that you can't work for us anymore? No. And I said, well, in which case, everything else is fine. Like, it, it can't be that bad then. And then she told me and there were tears. And I, from my perspective, it was fine, right? Like having one client that that even if we've put a load of work into and we, we don't get the result is an, an understandable, acceptable thing in business. It does happen, but it was really disappointing for, for, for both of us and we still regret it today. And there's various things that we, we learned from it to change our processes and how we engage and, and how we make sure that each of a client's team are involved and they understand what's, what's expected and so on. But you know, our, our number one core value is focus on impact. And so although I'm happy that they solved some of the problems that we set out to solve, I'm worried that if they lose a new, that new team member, they'll be back to square one. And when they hire new team members in future, they'll have to rely on the existing busy team, because that's when you hire, when you're busy, to train them the right way. 
And if they want to change their ways of working to make any improvements, improve conversion rates, improve customer satisfaction, et cetera, they'll have to spend a load of time training each team member on the new way and answering repeated questions. And I feel that they're taking the slow, painful, stressful route, which is what we're all about removing. And perhaps worse, that that business owner feels like he's validated that there are things that he does that cannot be delegated and that documenting processes and delegating processes doesn't work for for his industry, which uh, I, I fundamentally don't agree with. And I'd be really interested in, in your views as well. Like do post in the comments or tag me on social media. Let me know your thoughts on whether there are, whether you think there are areas which um, uh, can't be delegated or particular industries or whatever, because um, my experience is, is that no, you absolutely uh, can. You can train other people to do stuff. Um, now, um, that story makes me sad. So uh, we'll we'll switch to a to a happier one. So Miles is the managing director of a business where the business owner is planning to retire soon. And when we met Miles, Miles had been frustrated that he was struggling to take on more strategic activities from the business owner because Miles was essentially drowning in the the day to day that he needs to do. His team deferred to him often. His phone would ring regularly, including while Miles was on holiday. And every time it did, he'd dread answering to find out what new problem had to be dealt with. And there were so many activities that essentially only Miles could do, or at least he felt that way. But Miles knew that he'd never be able he'd never be able to take the reins of the business if he couldn't let go of those tasks. Now, he started off by documenting and delegating a few tasks, handing them over to the leadership team and other team members. And initially, he freed up his, quite a bit of his time, which was great, but he was still getting the phone calls. Now, he initially worried that maybe this couldn't be fixed. Perhaps his team weren't capable of solving problems in the way that he was. Perhaps problem solving can't be delegated. Well, each time an issue occurred that led to a phone call, Miles would discuss it with the team to explore how their processes could change to avoid this in future. And he'd then encourage the team to identify the root cause and test improvements. And at first, the impact was negligible. Each day presented seemingly new and unique problems. However, over a three-month period, the number and severity of the issues decreased drastically. The team were more able to tackle issues and make improvements of ways of working without involving Miles. And then the disruptions and the calls completely stopped. Now, when I bumped into Miles at an event shortly after that, he told me that the previous day when he was in the office, his phone rang and his first thought was, that's weird. <laughs> the phone barely rings anymore. But then he worried, but then he wondered, oh no, what's gone wrong now, right? So he picks up the phone and answers it. What had gone wrong? Nothing. It was reception calling him because a personal package had been delivered to the front desk. Now, how awesome is that, right? Because now, Miles, not only removing the stress, right? De-stress your business, removing the stress of the phone calls and the having to take it on holiday. But now, Miles was also able to take on the strategic work and the leadership activities he was able to grow the business and, and take the responsibility, take the reins of the business, whilst also taking holidays without being disrupted 
but also his team felt more valued and they enjoyed running things themselves without him being involved in the day-to-day. So there we go. So by now, we've now covered nearly all of the situations that people sometimes tell me can't be delegated or they're struggling to delegate. But there is one more, which brings us to the final example that serves as an extreme test. Because back in 2020, Paddy and I were looking to um, step out of uh, one of our software businesses so that we could work on new projects, including our new software business at the time, Air Manual, um, uh, a, uh, a book, and this podcast, right? Now, to be able to do that, of course, you need quite a lot of time. Now, all day-to-day business activities over in that other software business at SpiderGap had already been systemized and were running smoothly. So that were great. But there was one big area that remained, and that was leading the team. So this included setting and communicating the vision and the objectives for the coming year and defining the priorities for the coming quarter. Now, this had been our responsibility as the founders since the beginning. And no one else up to that point had done it except us for 10 years that we'd been in business. So we were genuinely worried whether this might be impossible to delegate. Now, Ryan is our COO. And although Ryan was keen to take on more responsibility, he looked up to us, particularly for our ability to quickly iterate, to agree a set of objectives and to communicate our vision passionately. Now, Ryan felt unsure whether he'd be able to do it to the same level. However, fast forward 12 months, Ryan works with the rest of the leadership team to establish objectives, set priorities, and then he presents the plan to the whole company via an all-team meeting. And he does a fantastic job, and the team rave about those sessions. Now, Paddy and I do still review the plans and ask coaching questions to Ryan. Takes us about a day every quarter or something uh, between us. But we We're acting as interested shareholders rather than leaders who are operational in the business. And we've all observed, myself, Paddy and Ryan, that we're suggesting fewer and fewer changes each quarter too. Ryan is happy as he's now empowered to run and lead the business and feels confident doing so and gets great feedback from his team. But also Paddy and I are super happy. (laughs) Not only has it reduced our time in that business to practically nothing, but the business is highly profitable and it's growing as fast as it's growing as fast as when we were working full time in that business. So there you are. Everything can be delegated or perhaps almost everything. I believe there's only really one thing in your business that can't be delegated. And that's deciding what you want from your life and your business. No one can do that for you, deciding what you want, but everything else, delegation should be possible. So try to catch yourself whenever you're tempted to say, only I can do this task, or this needs to be me. Just remember, that's absolute bullshit. Instead, ask yourself, how could I break this down so it can be delegated? Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you'd like to see a step-by-step guide on how to delegate tasks effectively, go to airmanual.link forward slash getting started to see a series of videos showing exactly how we recommend doing this. Now, if you'd like a call with an Airmanual consultant, as I mentioned that we have on our team now, to explore what activities you can delegate 
and get help to do this in your business to free up your time for what matters most, you can apply for a free call at airmanual.link forward slash discovery. And of course, if you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe. And if you found it particularly useful, share on social media, tag me in, tell other people to, to enjoy it and provide a review on your favorite podcast platform. Otherwise, until next time, have fun. Bye.